You're never going to get what you want in life unless you speak up and step up. If you think one area in your life that you're avoiding or that you need to work on is not going to affect the others, it's all connected. You're all you have. No one cares more about you than you. The most confident as of people are okay with showing vulnerability and emotion because that is the ultimate in not caring about what other people's opinions of you are. It's the feeling inside that wherever you go, you're comfortable within yourself being who you are, cultivating and having ultimately the sense of no matter what happens, I'm going to prevail. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Super excited to bring back a crowd favorite today. That is L. Russ. I thought it would be the perfect topic for Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Single Awareness Day. Today's show is all about confidence. How perfect is that? I adore Elle. I adore what she's doing. And her new book is really, really awesome when it comes to the whole confidence mindset, taking charge of your identity, yourself, your future. It's really, really motivational, really encouraging. And we get into a lot of awesome topics in today's show. One quick note, we did have a slight audio quality issue for my track in this show. My deepest apologies for that, but if you are a new listener, I just wanted you to know that is an anomaly, not the norm. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com confidence. I wanted to say before starting that I've been getting a lot of really good feedback about the episode that I had with Noel Tarr. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for your thoughts and letting me know what resonated with you. That was the first episode in that format where it was more of um, more personal and more of like a joint interview. So Noel and I had an amazing time. We we talked about <laughs> the struggles and challenges of life in the modern world and social media and podcasting and stress and feeling like you're not enough and can't live up to these standards. And it was a really powerful conversation. And I really loved hearing back from everybody about their thoughts on it. And I'm so glad that it resonated. Going forward, we might actually do some more episodes because we did receive such amazing feedback about that. And I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. But thank you again for listening and letting me know what you thought. I was nervous to put out that episode, so that really meant the world. And if you are enjoying this show, it would also mean the world if you could write a brief iTunes review. It helps so much for just spreading the podcast, spreading all this information that we learn from all of the guests, and just getting the podcast out there. So thank you so much. For all of you biohackers listening, hi friends, welcome back to the show. So I am super excited to be here today with... One of the most popular guests that I've had on my podcast to date. That is a true statement. I looked at the downloads and the prior episode with this guest has been one of the hottest of all my episodes. I'm here with Elress. Elle, thank you so much for coming back and gracing our presence. I love chatting with you on and offline and thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to know that. That means that when we were talking about thyroid, even more people are getting helped. So that makes me happy. Yeah. So for listeners, our first episode with Elle was all about the thyroid because Elle is the go-to person (laughs) for addressing thyroid issues, taking your health into your own hands. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes so listeners can definitely check that out. And now 
I mean, whenever anything comes up related to the thyroid, I just direct people straight to that episode, to your book. So it was a great conversation. When we recorded that, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember the timeline of things. I think when we recorded it, you had this book, you had either just finished it or it was in the works. I don't remember the exact timeline. I think I had finished it, but it wasn't yet published or it was about to be. Yeah. So right around that timeline. So Elle has a new book out, completely different topic. Well, kind of relates as we <laughs> we can go into that. A whole other topic here. It is called, and I am going to provide the edited version of the title to keep this podcast friendly for all audiences. It is Confident as F Word. And from now on, we'll just fill out it. We'll just call it Confident as F. But the subtitle is How to Ditch Bad Vibes, Clean Up Your Past, and Cultivate Confidence in Order to Make Your Dreams a Reality. So right off the back, it's a very confident title. <laughs> so L. Super excited to hash this out with you. But for listeners, I mean, listeners are probably pretty familiar with you. But for those that are not, Ella's amazing. She's the co-host of the Primal Blueprint podcast with Mark Sisson. She has her book that I just talked about on the thyroid. She's really a go-to girl in the holistic health world and is honestly changing lives in all of her work and cannot thank you enough for all that you're doing. And now this new book, I mean, I personally really need this book because I admittedly am a, I consider myself a shy, slightly insecure person. So I've always sort of struggled with the whole confidence thing. So this topic, especially coming from you was pretty awesome. I bet people would be surprised to hear you say that because you've written a book yourself. You've been on TV as an actor, you've done tons of interviews and you have your own podcast. So that just goes to show you too, that there are times when we are confident in certain abilities and they sometimes might be on the outside, but we're still need to clean some stuff up on the inside. It's so true. People, people tell me that all the time. They're like, I would not expect that. And I'm just like, you have no idea. It reminds me of when people meet me in person and they see my photo on the cover of my Paleo Thyroid Solution book and then they meet me in person and I'm I'm short. I'm like 5'2", but the photo on the cover makes me look like I'm, you know, like an Amazon <laughs> or something. And so they meet me and they're like, totally not expecting you to be short. I thought you were like six feet tall <laughs> or something. You're 5'2"? I am. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> we have to meet in person sometime. <laughs> So for listeners who are not familiar with you, I thought to start things off, would you like to tell listeners just a little bit about your personal health journey, mindset journey, and what led you to where you are today with this whole confidence thing? Because I mean, I do know you are, you definitely just shine confidence, which is a beautiful thing. So can you tell listeners a little bit about that? Everyone can check the previous episode with you, which is pretty lengthy, a great thyroid interview about, you know, thyroid health. I had always wanted to talk about the subject of confidence, but you know, the thyroid stuff came up first and that was the first book I wrote. And it just wasn't necessarily, it just wasn't in line with me combining two different things every time I was interviewed. So I just focused on that. You know, I, I struggled a couple times in life and I detail that struggle in a big way in a chapter in this current book, Confident as F. But, you know, I've had some things in life, some major roadblocks or bumps and 
couple of them are like brick walls, really. <laughs> and the first one that I talk about in my book was being disabled at the age of 22, physically disabled. I have a hand injury. And I talk about that in detail and we can get into that later. And then 10 years later, I got hypothyroidism and I was like, you have to be kidding me, universe. Are you joking? Really? <laughs> you know, both experiences were the best things that ever happened to me in hindsight. They are also things I never thought would be a success story or help others, but they turned out to be that way. And so I guess to say that if you're out there and you're struggling with anything, it's not to say that you're going to write a book about it, but most of the best gifts we get in life are wrapped in poop. They are. Some of them are. And we've got to pull back those layers. And you know, sometimes it takes some time to see what they mean in our lives, but that's really been true with the trials and tribulations in mine. And you know, I want to start there by saying, if you're struggling with something now, you don't know. The struggles I've had, I now look back and cry out of gratitude for them, where at first I thought I was effed or I was cursed when they were going on at the time. And I think everyone struggling with any kind of health issue or any kind of issue understands that. It seems like the worst thing in the world. And I'm here to tell you that it actually can end up being one of the best things in the world. Yeah, I think that is so beautiful. And that's something that I really, really took away from your book. That's actually, it's one of the things that's really haunted me from the paleothyroid solution is the comment you made about how, A, how you were, you know, grateful for your thyroid condition in the end, but also how when you got the second time, you know, because you had the, the hypothyroidism, then you got the reverse T3 problem the second time and how you were able to better deal with it the second time even because you knew you had been there before and you knew you'd gone through it before. And I don't know why that just really stuck with me from that first book, but literally that sentence hops into my head at random moments. It's like hell's voice in my head. But yeah, that's just so wonderful to know that these struggles and challenges that people face that we can't ultimately one day be grateful for them. How does confidence play in with all of that? So do you consider yourself, do you think you were born a confident person? Did you have confidence during your struggles? Did it wax and wane? How innate is confidence? Even if you're raised well with confident parents that are instilling this in you. Now, if they're not, then you might have, again, a little bit more of a journey there to confidence, right? So if you're not raised in that way, which I was, but still, even if you're not, I, it did wax and wane, and I was challenged by people and life circumstances along the way. I would say that I was naturally confident to some degree, but I have seen people who are literally debilitatingly shy, haven't had a friend until they were 35, couldn't talk to anybody, and these people are now people that you would meet, and they're the most outgoing people on planet Earth. So you can be at ground zero with confidence and gain it. That's also to say that the world and people in general are designed to sort of chip away at your confidence. And we see that with, it doesn't matter if it's a loved one. I talk about, you know, the downer effect in my book, downers and toxic people. You're going to get reactions from people. And you know this, Melanie, when you're in a creative profession, you and I are both actors. When you're in a creative profession, you get more people questioning and skeptical of your future success than almost any other profession. It could be a musician. It's any kind of creative profession where a lot of people are kind of looking at you going, mm, good luck with that right? And that's a downer. That's someone that's projecting their lack of confidence in you onto you. What are you going to do about it? Because we're living in this meat suit. It's your life. And that's part of this book too, is taking those hits and turning them around and understanding also not to take those hits and let them define you. So if you weren't raised that way, then your first order of business is to get rid of the parental garbage that 
sustain these stories about you that you chose to believe that are affecting your confidence. And so I also want to start off by saying, you know, confident as F, that term is really to be meant to be all encompassing inside and out. You can speak on stage in front of 50,000 people and, and then get off the stage and not even be able to have a conversation with your loved one because you just can't handle it. You're not confident in this arena. We need confidence from the bedroom to the boardroom. You're never going to get what you want in life unless you speak up and step up and it's up to us. So we've got to shed all of this BS around us, including parental stuff and stories. And I can absolutely give specific examples. And I do in my book. And I think as you read and you understand, you know, the reason this is different from a lot of self-esteem books or confidence books is that it's not about acronyms and to-do lists. This is like real life stories from my life and other people I've coached and people I know that when you read these bits, you go, okay, I get it. I get it. I know what I need to do now. You know, and that's what I think other books on this topic are lacking in substance. And same with thyroid books. And that's why I wrote the thyroid book. I wanted to be like, yeah, but give me something like, tell me really how to do it with the thyroid. I was like, tell me what to like, really tell me what the blood work is. What am I looking for? Give me an example. Give me success stories. Give me, give me something to sink my teeth into so I can have hope here. You know, and the same goes for this book in terms of, well, there's not blood work examples in there. You can't detect that on a, can't detect confidence on a a blood panel. It's about relatable real life stories we've all been through. We've all had similar experiences. I'm just laying them out for you so that you can go, aha. And if you're listening and you think you're highly confident, which I was as well, I had a stumbling block to being coming. I was confident like literally one of the most confident people I've ever met. I am, if anyone hears me on podcasts, I'll be like, that chick is a no BS confident person. And I am, but I also had some pitfalls going on with that. And in order to become confident as F, I had to work through that so I could be all in one, not just on the outside, not just over here, not just in business, but also in personal and other areas. Everyone's got something to learn. So if you think you're highly confident, this book is also for you because highly confident people have major pitfalls. And those pitfalls are, we do not like to be vulnerable at all because it's seen as a weakness. We also are inaccessible because of that as well. So people, while they might admire us and come to us for advice and want us there in emergency because we're you know going to get it done and handle it, we also kind of are unreachable. We're sort of, you know, people look at people, highly confident people are like, oh, I kind of like can't get to know them. We're, we're not accessible. And that's where less confident people really have the number on us. It's a symbiotic relationship. So while people came to me throughout my life needing confidence, like calling me up because they're like, I'm afraid to ask the boss for a raise or, you know, how do I speak up to my family member? That was always, you know, seemingly one-sided, like, oh, I'm there as some confidence coach. But I learned a lot from them. Those people are better at receiving. They are better at letting people take the helm and be in control. They are more diplomatic about the way that they respond, meaning highly confident people are often quite confident and can be reactive and not think before they speak. That is something I've had to learn. I'm sure there's still moments when I have to, you know, really bite my tongue and go, hold on a minute, take a breather before you respond. So we can learn a lot from them too. You know, it's not that less confident people don't have qualities that we need. There is a symbiotic relationship there, if that makes sense. I love it so much. And that's one of the things that you so beautifully laid out was just how I think we often have a very, like you just discussed, limited view of confidence. Like we think it's, oh, it's the person who can talk to people and be happy in a room and like light up a room. But really there's so many different layers to confidence and you provide so many examples of people who are, you know, seemingly confident in one area of their life, but not others. 
it might behoove me to give that example. I'll give one of those examples right now that's in the book. Perfect example is John. So John is one of these seemingly very highly confident people. He is an anesthesiologist, so he has to put you under before surgery. You know, that takes a lot of confidence in one abilities, right? That's someone's life on the line, okay? You know, you're putting a needle in someone's spine. Hello, confidence, right? Does it with zero reserve, right? Completely confident. And on the other hand, he's also a spear fisherman in the ocean. This is an extremely rigorous sport, okay? You are out in five miles out in the ocean. You're, you know, you're spearing a 150-pound fish, and then it takes you an hour to wrangle it to the surface. You're out there with sharks. It's freezing. I mean, this is also a incredible level of confidence. Yet John couldn't talk to his neighbor about something really seemingly simple. And this spread to other areas of his life in relationships, right? So here he is confident on the outside. Also, good looking guy in shape, like nothing there that would, you know, tread upon his confidence. What happened was, is that John had just washed his house. He cleaned the whole outside of the house. And then he realized his neighbor was setting up to clean their house the following week. And he was very like, oh God, he's going to get dirt all over my house. And, you know, da 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 da. And he was stressed out about it and going back and forth and then creating all of these sort of future arguments he might have with his neighbor. And, you know, we really broke it down and the, the exact conversations in the book. But essentially, I was like, well, hold on a second. You love your neighbor. You talk very highly of him. He's a nice guy, right? He's like, yeah, he's totally nice. I was like, okay, so. So what's the problem here? Why can't you just go to him and say, hey, man, I just cleaned my house. I see that your workers are going to do yours. Is there any way you could put up a tarp or, you know, it's a one sentence conversation. He's like, well, I don't want him to think I'm a jerk. You know, I, I don't, you know, I said, well, hold on a minute. Like, you know, so we unwrapped this. And finally, we got to the point where it was like, look, you can simmer around for weeks, stressing yourself out. He could wash his house and then get yours dirty. Now you're all mad. You've created this false tension and conflict in the neighborhood that doesn't have to be there. All it takes is a one-sentence conversation. You know, finally, when I convinced him, we danced around it. He did go to his neighbor and literally said, hey, see, so you're washing your house. I just cleaned mine. Is there any way your workers could put up a tarp? And the neighbor reacted as I thought he would. The neighbor was like, hey, man, of course, we'll protect it. And if for some reason I get your house dirty, I'll have my guys clean yours too. And John came back and was like, oh my God, that was so easy. Like, you know, and the reason that's such a great example is because here you have this confident person on the surface. And this is also a warning. Just because somebody is confident in certain areas and abilities doesn't mean they have self-esteem and they're confident on the inside. And the inside is actually more important. Some of the most confident people are the quietest people in the room. This is not about writing a book, speaking publicly, being an actor, none of it. It's just being comfortable with who you are and stating what's true for you, being authentic. Confident people are the most authentic and authenticity reigns supreme in life. People want to hire you. People want to do business with you. People want to be friends with you because they know you're not going to BS them. Now, on that note, and I do mention my book, hey, look, you have to have an editing button, right? If I'm at your grandma's house for Thanksgiving and she's got a horribly ugly sweater on and says, what do you think of my new sweater? I love it. I'm not going to tell her it's ugly. Let's just be real, right? You know, there's times where you're going to have white lies. You don't, you know, not everything needs to be facts. Let her have that because disagreeing is just, you know, that's just not nice, right? So there are moments where we're going to have to edit ourselves and not speak the truth, but for the most part, confident people do. That is something that is 
so much more desirable to everybody and it reigns supreme. So it also gets you what you want in life when you're authentic and you speak and move forward in life with what you truly want and what you truly think, you often are more successful. So speaking to that idea of being authentic, I hope I can express this right. But so when it comes to confidence, how does it interplay with a person's feeling of their own authenticity or their own belief in themselves compared to their feelings of other people's perspectives? So what I mean by that is, for example, I'll often feel very confident in my ability to do many things. So like me getting them done, doing them, I feel very, very confident in that ability But where my insecurity, which I talked about in the beginning, often comes in is more about how I'm perceived in those things. So how it's received by the world. So it's like this half confident. It's like the confidence is sort of, it's like inside of me as far as like my ability to do things. But then I get just really, really terrified of (laughs) what people will think. So does that mean I actually have no confidence or does it mean that I just have confidence in part of myself, but not the full part of myself. So the tension between you feeling what you're capable of doing versus how people perceive it. Yeah. You know, here's the thing. I mean, back to sort of even ancestral health, right? We have this built-in, you know, we're living with other people. We don't live alone on an island, right? We're not castaways. So we do need to feel valued, by our tribe, or by at least one person. You can be really confident in yourself because you're a lovely friend and everyone loves you. That could be it. You don't even need to have a special job or any kind of accomplishments or resume. It's really a feeling from inside. And so, you know, confident as F is inside and out. So you have confidence in certain abilities, but you might not have confidence in a full, true way because you might still be caring about what other people think to some degree. Now, We all do, right? You know, I put out a book, I want people to like it, right? But at the end of the day, I don't effing care if one person buys my new book or the other one. I'm proud of myself. I did it. I'm confident in that. And so that's okay. In fact, when I wrote my first book and all these reviews were getting up on Amazon, people were like, are you like checking the reviews every day? I'm like, no, the exact opposite because I'm confident in it. I don't care what anyone has to say about it. Now, You have to live life that way, especially in an online world of social media. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you're going to get people who are going to project that onto you and it's how you take it. So the most confident as F person, and this is why I think it's important to lean into some vulnerability if you're a highly confident person and that's your issue, which it was mine, because that is the ultimate in not caring about what other people's opinions of you are. And when you're at that point, Most of the time, the opinions are going to be good because you don't care. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, It's almost like an energetic thing. You're so like, it's okay because I'm happy with me and what I do so that whatever anyone says, oh, well. Now, that sounds crass in a way because... It's not like I'm going to go call my friends today and tell them to F off and I hate them and not expect some kind of blowback for that, right? I mean, we live in this world where we have to treat people well. And yes, we do care what our loved ones think. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, like my mother, I love her so much. She's I've never met a better mother in my life. Literally not heard of a better mother. My mother is a saint. But if she called me today and went nuts and told me to F off, I'm sure it would really hurt. However, at the end of the day, I'd really have to eventually get to a point where her opinion of me doesn't matter. That takes work. That can be hard. And people have grown up with such kind of parents who've abused them, you know, verbally abused them, et cetera. So again, this takes inner work. And that's the point 
of the book is to inspire everyone to do the self-examination to unravel that. And here's the thing. It's like, are you really going to let other people's opinion of you win? Like, not if I can help it. No, you're not. You know, now I've gotten hit several times. I talk about how people downered me many times in my book and, you know, it's, it comes up and it's not to say that you don't get an initial hit. We have egos, we're primal beings. You go, oof, and that doesn't feel good. And then you have to go, this doesn't feel good. I need to unravel this. Why doesn't it feel good? And when you really think about it, you are allowing someone else's opinion of you to dictate how you feel about yourself. That is giving your power to someone else that is not confident as F that's going to lead you down a road that is, again, going to probably trip up your advancement in life and the achievement of your dreams and your goals. And that's why you don't talk to people about your, or I think this is Steve Harvey quote, don't tell your million-dollar dreams to $100 people. You know, that's part of it. Stop coming up the brick wall. If every time you talk to your friend Susie, she seems jealous or unsupportive of your dreams, well, guess what? Stop calling Susie, and you might need to think about even being friends with her. So it is about ditching bad vibes, toxic people, and then again, cultivating it in yourself, turning it around. For example, you know, with dating. Years ago, a woman was expressing to me that she felt online dating was depressing. And I said, what? Why do you think it's depressing? She goes, well, it's just a lot of rejection. And I said, well, well, what do you mean? She said, well, you know, I email all these guys and like no one emails me back. It's a lot of rejection. Let's just unpack that for a second. So I said to her, I said, so what if you found out that all of the guys who didn't email you back that you feel rejected by were convicted felons or beat their last wife or were horrible drunks or, you know, would you feel like you dodged a bullet or would you feel rejected? She's like, oh my God, no, I'd feel like I dodged a bullet. Exactly. So what is she doing in that environment? She's allowing strangers who she doesn't even know to dictate how she feels about herself and allowing herself to feel rejected. These are, these are people she doesn't even know. Now, even if she did know them and she liked them and they still rejected her, still the same goes. But you see how insane this is, right? So you get one, one bad review or you get you know haters on Instagram or whatever. You have to learn to not engage and move on. It's not to say that it's not going to hit for a minute, but then you have to really go in your head and go, hold on a minute. I don't even know this person. And what does it say about them? It says more about them than it does about you, that they actually took the time to go send out some hate. You know, these things are all workable within the mind and within the soul to get in there and reason it out and go, hold on a minute. What was I thinking? But most people don't do that. They just run with that bad comment or that bad review or whatever it is. We often, again, are putting our confidence. So back to the dating, going on a date too, had a couple of friends that one friend who was talking about going on a date with a woman and he was like, you know, you know, I just hope that like, blah, 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 she likes me. And I said, nope. Nope, you don't know her. You've had one conversation with her. She could be a serial killer for all we know. You go into that date and here's your modus operandi. It is, let's see if I even like this person enough to continue beyond this date. That's a pro you move. That's confident as F. Not, I hope they like me. It's a very different, you know, it's a different standpoint to come in from. And so eventually that woman who was talking to about the dating, I mean, she got it, right? But if you really think about it, we do this a lot. We allow a parent, a teacher, someone else in our life to tell us what we can and can't do and what we may or may not be good at. Now, this is not about, and this is a quote in my book, it's not about proving them wrong. It's about proving yourself awesome. What are you going to choose? You know, what are you going to choose? So we really do have choices here. It's just most people don't look at it. They're on autopilot and they just let these things go. But with each hit you get from somebody that's going to chip away at your confidence, you have a choice. 
And I'm arguing for making the choice towards you because when you make pro moves for you, my belief, and it's been in my experience, that the universe drops you prizes all the time. Even if it's speaking up against someone who's bullying you, you know, adult bullying is a thing. It rarely happens to me, but a couple times in the past five years, a stranger has tried to bully me with major regret. They didn't realize who, and maybe they learned a lesson. I don't know. Who cares? But at the end of the day, I still sometimes will speak up if I have to, but I'm rarely challenged on it because I am a person who speaks up. Back to thyroid really quick though. One of the things Louise Hay found out and I talk about in the paleothyroid solution is that when I look back in hindsight, when I got hypothyroidism, I was in a relationship with a kind of a passive aggressive person who I had to walk around on eggshells on. They were moody and I felt choked up. Like I couldn't speak up. And here's the thing. I speak up in every other area of my life, but I couldn't romantically. And it's interesting that later on I find out that thyroid issues are really related to not speaking up or not speaking your truth or not expressing your creativity, etc. So, you know, not speaking up can also harm you as well. I actually think in Louise's book, is it You Can Heal Your Body or You Can Heal Your Life? I remember reading under the hypothyroidism one, how it related to the voice and like not being able to speak up and everything. And I know people might say that that's not scientific or things like that, but I actually think that it really, really makes sense. And that's something that you discussed in your book as well. The whole idea of what we attract to us. And you give the example of, I don't know if it was on your friends or clients or somebody that you were helping who, you know, had seen all these therapists and all these things. And then she read The Secret and it like changed her life. It's so funny. I read that and I was like, oh my goodness, because actually, Elle, I read The Secret. And once I finished reading it, that's when I decided to do this podcast. And here we are. It was a major change in my life. And for anybody listening, there's there's a movie, The Secret. It's a little bit of a cheesy production value. I suggest the audiobook because it's four hours and it literally is all of the extended interviews and it really sinks in that way. It's something that really changed my life. But here's the thing about The Secret. The information in The Secret is really about the power of intention, the power of the subconscious mind. These are not new concepts. The Secret just kind of revamped them in a nice packaged way. These come from gosh, I mean, there's biblical verses. You could look to your own Bible if you're religious for, you know, you believe a thing first and then it's shown unto you, right? Ask and you shall receive. Or Ernest Holmes, Science of Mind, you know, these are looking at ways of get what we think about, whether you like it or not. And you can discount that. There is a scientific book on it called The Intention Experiment, where Lynn McTaggart, who's an investigative journalist, decided, all right, look, if this intention secret thing is real, then let's forget the woo-woo stuff. Let's look at science. Let's see what scientific experiments, if any, can corroborate this. And that whole book, if you need science, is all of the science behind the law of attraction and the power of intention. And so whether you believe it or not, that's fine, but it's working whether you believe it or not. So you could try to tap into it and see what it's all about. That audiobook, The Secret, has changed so many lives that I've known. And of course, all of the speakers in that series as well are amazing, like Mike Dooley and Lisa Nichols. And, you know, there's there's so many other wonderful experts, as you know. So here's the thing. There's so many people, like, let's talk about parental garbage for a minute. And I want to talk about Brandon's story because this is kind of a simple one that people would gloss over and not really think would be applicable to them. So Brandon is someone who grew up in a household, like everyone had everything they needed. No one was struggling or suffering. No one was abused, lovely, middle, upper class, like, you know, white picket fence. But Brandon's dad was one of these guys who like, he'd like, 
lose his hammer out of the toolbox and then go blame Brandon for it, for stealing it. Brandon w- didn't steal it and would be like, I didn't steal it. And he'd be like, yes, you did. I know you took it. Where is it? He'd always get blamed for stuff that wasn't his fault. And then, you know, Brandon's dad would find the hammer and then not even apologize, right? Like, F you. Thanks, dad, right? So Brandon, the way this carried over about until he was 40, was once he became a contractor and adult and was working on a variety of projects, the same pattern would repeat itself. He would get blamed, something would go wrong, wasn't his fault, and he would get blamed for it, and he would get blamed for it in a patronizing way in front of all of the workers. Very embarrassing, get yelled at, okay? So totally bullied. So we talked this out, and I was like, well, hold on a second. You know, this never happens to me, and I'm not a better employee than you. It's just got to be something in your belief system. We looked at it. We looked, I asked about the childhood. This is classic psychology. We repeat patterns that are familiar, whether they're healthy or not. It sounds sick. This is why people keep going to an abused husband because their mom was beaten and that's what they learned about love and it's familiar to them. It's not right. It's not healthy. It's just what is. Someone, everyone out there has something in their past that they can relate to where this might need to be cleaned up. So the first order of business is really getting Brandon to see that, you know, he doesn't have to be wrong, you know, and that this is just a story. This was the story put upon him. Like you're the brat that's always wrong in the household. And then it took a little mustering to bring Brandon to the point where the next time this happened with this bully boss on a gig, he was going to speak up and say something to the effect of, hey, listen, if you don't talk to me in an appropriate tone, I'm going to walk out on this job right now. Now, again, you have to be prepared for that financially in every way, but Brandon had had enough of kind of taking it and just, you know, by the way, bullies, prey on that. Okay. They prey on people that don't speak up. And oftentimes when you bully a bully back or call them on their shiz, they acquiesce and they're stunned usually because nobody ever does it. So Brandon finally did this one day and spoke up and it went exactly the way I thought, just kind of like with John's neighbor, the bully, his boss was like stunned. And also Brandon said this to him in front of everybody because he was being chastised publicly and said, hey, just called it out. He apologized, didn't do it again. But then what happened is, I mean, first of all, Brandon was so excited that day. It was like, I am so proud of myself. You would have been so proud of me. I stood up, you know, it feels good to stand up for yourself because that is a primal instinct. Don't deny it. And so after that, Brandon started to attract positions and jobs on contracts and they went great. Nothing went wrong. In fact, he would get emails afterwards being like, we loved working with you. Everything was so smooth and perfect. And he'd call me every time like, oh my God, what a different life Brandon is living now. Now, I will say this. Once you've overcome a challenge like that, you know, like, okay, you're not speaking up, you're getting bullied or whatever it is, you know, and okay, then you finally kind of get over it. You tackle it. You make a move to change it. The universe will deliver as it did with Brandon, really great experiences, but you might get a tester situation. You might get one thrown at you to be like, did you really learn it? Did you really learn it? And so Brandon did get one out of many years that kind of was like, uh, and spoke up immediately in that moment because his confidence was fueled by the outcome of previously doing it. And he didn't really have any shame about it anymore. And the moment a new contractor manager was kind of a, a jerk, he just immediately, you know, was like, hey, not going to accept that. Nope. You know, and called it out and it was over and the person apologized. And so you might get challenged after you sort of complete a challenge and you might still get a tester, but that's classic. Brandon's life is completely different now. 
his work situations are amazing. And again, it wasn't that I'm a better employee than him, but I've never had that experience in my life, except I've had the opposite employment experience. Everyone loves me. They keep promoting me. Everyone thinks I'm amazing. Like, this is my story. That's my experience. Now, I had other areas of my life that needed work on, but not that. So what's yours? If you're listening, there's something, and here's how you detect it. Does something keep happening? Is there a pattern that keeps happening, whether it's in relationships or whether it's in work, you know, family, doesn't matter. Where is it that things don't feel good that kind of keep coming up and they keep happening? That's your indication to go, hold on a minute. And looking at, is there something from my parents or from my past? It could be teachers that told you you were going to amount to nothing. It doesn't matter who or what it is. You got to look at that because there's some kind of story you're carrying through and think about it. Brandon, all those years, allowed his father's opinion of him to dictate how he felt about himself and dictate how he operated and his confidence in the workforce. And now it is a 180. And that's just one simple example. So, you know, everybody's got a little something that they need to look at. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th Annual Biohacking Conference. May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Hi, friends. Okay, so I'm a little bit embarrassed because I've been talking for so long about red light and near-infrared therapy, which is so, so important. However, I kind of left out something really important about light. So as you guys know, I've been talking about red light and near-infrared for so long. And at the same time, during the day, I was using a bright, sad light 
So it's those white lights that help with waking you up, help with your circadian rhythm. They're used to combat mood issues and depression. So I have a really bright white one of those at my desk. A few things about that. I knew it helped wake me up and kept me stimulated, but I wasn't sure if it had any detrimental effects using it. And then two, I was also wondering if by just focusing on red and near-infrared light, was I somehow missing something in the full spectrum of light? Guess what? I was. And guess what? I found the solution. And guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soulshine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness. This man blew my mind. I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved in natural full spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought, it was not doing my health many services. There is only one company I have found, or I guess that found me, that makes a full spectrum white light device. So the Soul Light Systems include the fullest spectrum of visible and invisible near-infrared light with traces of UV light. Yep, that's right, because you need all of that as well. Don't worry, it's not an exuberant amount that's going to cause a problem. It's just a tiny little dose that your body actually needs. You can use these lights to fix your circadian rhythm and properly stimulate your brain's suprachiasmatic nucleus or SCN in a way that it was supposed to be stimulated. It's kind of like the natural spectral diet because yes, you may be suffering from malillumination. Did you know that your entire bloodstream actually filters through your eyes in a relatively short amount of time. That's the only way your blood is exposed to the outside world. So when we expose our eyes to this light, it actually can have beneficial effects on our blood. That is crazy. It helps with skin, with mood. This is the light that I wasn't thinking about that we need. I love Soulshine's light therapy devices. I do use it in combination with my red and near-infrared light devices as well so that I can fully bathe my body in the best light that is so helpful for my sleep, for my stress, for my metabolism, for my immunity, for my health, so many things. They have so many different device options. They have one that I love that kind of looks like a juve and I sit it on my desk and it has options for the full spectrum light, which is that bright white light, as well as an near infrared option. So what I do is I do a session of the full spectrum light in the morning and then I run the near infrared to help counteract the negative blue light around me. They also have stands with bulbs that you can get. I've been using some of those on my plants. I am just so grateful that Ken at Soulshine found me because I was missing out on such a key aspect of light and I had no idea. And you can get 10% off at melanieavalon.com slash soulshine. That's S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code melanieavalon. So melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code melanieavalon for 10% off. It's really helped my mood, my energy, my sleep, so many things. I think you guys will love it. So again, go to melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off site-wide. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. And so when somebody does find, you know, some sort of issue that they're struggling with their confidence and addressing it, gaining confidence in that issue or whatever it may be, 
Is it a matter of gaining confidence? So like doing the thing that is confident, or is it more about taking away the fears and the anxieties? So then you are confident. So is building confidence about (laughs) going forward and being confident, or is it about losing the fears and losing the anxieties? And then the confidence can just naturally be there. It's a duo depending because you can force yourself into an act as if situation and that, you know, might fuel it, but then is the substance really there? Have you really looked at the angles and the tangents behind that? Do you know what I mean? And if you look at the angles and tangents behind that from the inside, it's going to actually help fuel the outer. And so, you know, listen, I talk about performance confidence in the book, and I don't know if you've had this, but when I started doing sketch comedy, we had, we used a different word, but we used to call it the pre-show poops. Because when someone starts performing for the first time live, it's like 20 minutes before the show, all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I have to like go do a blowout in the bathroom. Like it's a common thing and it kind of happens <laughs> with stage performance. I had it for the first three sketch comedy shows I ever did. And then finally on the fourth and last one of that series, I didn't. And then I didn't have it after that. That is still an uncomfortable situation you have to work through. It's not to say that there won't be times when you're not uncomfortable. It's getting comfortable with the uncomfortable and that can be worked on. It's just like with Brandon mustering up that speaking up for the first time. It wasn't comfortable to do that when he first spoke up. It's awkward. It's uneasy, but it fueled his confidence from there on out where now speaking up if needed is not at all mustering up those nervous tension yuckiness on the inside. It's not to say confrontation still isn't uncomfortable if you have to have one. So you have to move forward even through, you know, the uncomfortability. It's just that it gets easier over time. So you can kind of take actions that are confident, but I still would say that looking at the bigger picture of why you're even there in the first place is going to help you get there. And to know that, yes, getting on stage for the first time, you know, I wasn't super confident when I did that, you know, but I was like, I'm here. I agreed to this. Uh Uh-oh, you know, (laughs) show's about to start. I don't have a choice now. You asked for this. And, you know, I sometimes do, even though I'm super confident in public speaking, I've had moments. I was at Paleo FX last year and my speech was the shame of disability and the disability of shame. And it was the first time I was really talking about it in a public way. And I had a moment right before I went up as the person was introducing me where, look, and this is going to happen. You have a moment of like, I'm sure you've had it before auditions. I have too, where you're like, oh my God, who do I think I am? Like, who do I think I am? (laughs) You know, like, oh my God, like there's just a minute of, you know, kind of freak out. And then this is where confidence comes in. It's self-talk. It's like, I've been before an audition where I've had to talk to myself in the lobby of that audition and go, you asked for this life, L. this is what you wanted. You wanted to be an actor. What are you doing, man? Come on. You've done show. You've done this before. What are you doing? Stop it. Let's go. You're going to kill it. You know, and I'm giving myself a pep talk on the inside. I did that last year too when I had that moment. I was like, hold on a second. You love this. You're comfortable with this. You perform many times. Stop. You could go out there and nail it. Go out there and nail it. And that is, again, the internal thinking of someone who's confidence versus someone who lets those thoughts continue so that when they go on stage, now they're shaking. So you got to turn it around. You got to pivot. And that's what this is about is recognizing those moments where you need to pivot and give yourself a pep talk. You're all you have. You're it for you. It doesn't matter if you're fighting for your thyroid health or anything else in life. No one cares more about you than you. No one's going to do it for you. So you got to put those big girl pants on or big boy pants on and take a step forward. And when you do, the rewards and prizes are inevitable. The universe, God, whatever you believe, really does reward pro you self. No one cares more about you than you, you know, all the time. It's like, 
I've seen it happen in so many scenarios where someone leaves a toxic relationship finally, and then some amazing things happen to them. Not surprisingly, because they have finally taken the stand for themselves. Who else is going to, so the world universe or whatever is going to honor you if you do. But if you don't, don't expect, you know, much in return. Yeah. And so you touched on it just now. Part of the book, one of the things you go into detail is your personal disability that you had with your hands and how it affected your confidence. And it really resonated me, the part of it where you were talking about, and you just touched on it, about the shame aspect. And I think that is such a huge, well, I I know it is for me. I know it has been for you. So I imagine a lot of people probably struggle with this as well. But you know, when you have something in your life that is haunting you or hurting you or that you're ashamed of, it's amazing not only how it affects your own perspective of yourself, but your fear in engaging with others because you have the secret and you can't actually connect with anybody. So what would you say to people who are struggling with their confidence because they're ashamed of some aspect of their life? Yeah, this is really important. So that chapter is shame disables confidence. And it does. It just does. And it doesn't matter what it's about. So I'll tell my story in a minute. But let's say you're ashamed of being molested when you're a child. Or let's say you're ashamed because you actually have a health thing right now. You know, when I was going through hypothyroidism and I was sick and didn't know what was going on, I was ashamed. It's embarrassing to have a health issue. It just is. We can all look at someone and go, oh, you shouldn't be. It's not your fault, blah, blah, blah. That's discounting their shame. It just is. When you're suffering and things are different and you're different than everybody, then, you know, there is a sense of shame and shame is really a deep sense of unworthiness. And so that is going to project out forward. And so it doesn't matter if you're ashamed because something was your fault. Maybe you killed somebody years ago because you were a drunk driver and you're still harboring shame and guilt about it. You could have a unsightly mole on your back that you're embarrassed about. It really doesn't matter. You could have been an addict and engaged in behavior from the past and now you're sober that you're not proud of and you're ashamed about. It doesn't really matter what it is, but the bottom line is, is you have to get good with it. You have to get to the point where you have no shame about your shame. That doesn't mean to do an interview or write a chapter in a book or a Facebook live, but it does mean you have to either work with friends, a therapist, a life coach, and get good with it. It also doesn't mean you have to preach it from the rooftops. There are things that are better left unsaid. I'm not saying you have to wear your heart on your sleeve and share this thing you're ashamed about with someone unless you feel you need to. But if you are harboring shame, it is going to project outward and likely not yield good results. And that was my case. So I'll give a little bit of a cliff note version of the story. When I was 22 years old, I was killing it. Now, here's the funny thing. I had always kind of wanted to be an actor and a performer of some kind, but I thought that's ridiculous. Like I downered myself on that. I was my own skeptic. I was like, yeah, no, and that's just so unrealistic. (laughs) So I was like, I'm going to go be a lawyer and make a ton of money so I can retire early. And that's what I'm going to do. That's a trajectory. I know the benchmarks in that industry, and I'm going to go in that direction. So after college, while I was awaiting law school, you know, application responses, I got a salary paying job working. I was a seventh person hired at a very fast growing company in San Francisco during the tech boom of the 90s. And Next thing you know, I'm managing 100 men throughout the state of California on Fortune 500 jobs. I'm making six figures. I got my own office. I got a set of Armani suits. I am so excited because I'm like, F law school now, right? I'm making more than a starting attorney. I'm just going to hang here because this company's blowing up. And now I'm going to be retired by the time I'm 35 with, you know, Porsches in the driveway and a couple of homes. Like, no doubt. In fact, my next promotion 
was to be making a quarter of a million dollars a year and I would have been 23 years old. So I was even more successful at 22 than anybody I had ever known in high school or elsewhere. And listen, people were incredibly impressed. And I felt so like I had gotten kicked out of high school back in the day. So I was extra vindicated that I was like, aha, got kicked out, but you know, check me out now, (laughs) check me out now, mofos. And I was really confident and really excited about my future. And then one day I definitely got my ass handed to me. The universe cut the golden handcuffs literally and figuratively off my wrists because I got a horrible repetitive strain injury that left me permanently disabled. I'm rated at a 40% disability by the state of California. That makes sense. If you can't use your legs, that's probably a 60% disability. So what happens is my arms started stopped working. Essentially, I had chronic tendonitis in both of my arms. I couldn't even lift a fork to my mouth. My arms went numb every night. I could not even wipe myself without pain. I had to have my friends carry groceries a block away from my house home because I couldn't even handle that. I could barely run my fingers through my hair. I was in chronic pain 24-7. My arms were visibly inflamed and they felt like they were on fire. I couldn't even speak with my hands. Couldn't sleep on my sides. I still don't. And while I am so much better now because it's been many years and you know I've been able to not have to work with my hands repetitively, the day that I was that I realized that this was permanent and I would never be able to go back to a job using my hands repetitively eight hours a day. And for those out there, I challenge you to think of any job in this world that you don't need to use your hands repetitively eight hours a day, five days a week. I can't work at a Starbucks. I can't be a grocery checkout person. I can't be a waiter. People who are in a wheelchair, if they have their use of their hands, they have way more job prospects. This is a hand-based world. The only jobs in that arena are what we're doing now, using our voice, podcasting, acting, right? Writing with my voice, anything with my voice. So I'm here left at 22 and now everyone's starting their career. I had this promising future and then it just ended. And I had this moment where I was sitting in my apartment in San Francisco and my hands are just a mess and my arms are a mess and I'm crying, feeling sorry for myself. And I had a moment and I had this thought. I said, oh my God, who is ever going to want me? Who's ever going to want me? I have dead arms. I can't like, who's going to want to marry me? Like I can't even clean up a kitchen. I can much less, you know, get kids out the door for school or make lunches or anything. I can barely, you know, wipe my hand through my hair. I can't say that I would want a guy at 22 whose arms were dead and useless now, you know, like, oh my God. And that moment was my first moment of shame, this horrible sense of unworthiness, this horrible sense of I'm different from everyone. No one's going to want me. And an incredible sense of embarrassment of being completely defective you know? And so it literally lasted 20 years. You know, I carried the shame forever. And so while I was still confident in my life, in every area, the way that this shame of my disability affected me was in personal romantic relationships. I wouldn't tell anyone I was dating that I had the issue because here's the thing, I have something you can't see. And that can be a little bit of a double-edged sword because people are very empathetic. When you're missing an arm or a leg, they can see it. They understand it. When you have something they can't see, could be hypothyroidism, could be rheumatoid arthritis, could be my hand injury, it's, it's tough because people question it. They are constantly asking you questions about it. And then every time I would go into it, it would lead me into a discussion about the whole story, which would just create this 
extra sense of shame. And I kind of learned, there's more details about this in the book, but I kind of learned over time, like, you know what? It just feels better to not say anything. I'm not going to tell any more new people. The people that already know, fine. I'm hiding this because it's just too much trouble and it's not working for me. So I would date these guys and I wanted to find a relationship, but I wouldn't tell them about my situation because I was so ashamed about it. And what do you think that brought me? You know what I mean? And so where it really came to a head and when I really realized I needed to change this and it hurt me also with friendships. I have wonderful friendships. I've known people since I was seven, but because of this shame, I would always stay on the outside of groups and not let anyone get to know me too well. I would decline invitations for things or personal stuff with people because I thought, gosh, you know, the more they get to know me, they'll start to ask like, oh, well, how do you make your money? Because you don't work. And we had a credible long-term private disability policy with my company. So I was able to live. It was a preschool teacher salary, but I was able to live and not have to work and rest my hands, which is why now I can play a game of ping pong with you and not have a problem or play tennis a couple times a year. I swim regularly. I lift weights. I still have the issue though. And so if I were to go back into a job, if I worked at Starbucks tomorrow, within one week, I'd be in chronic pain. So, you know, I still have to gauge how I use my hands. And so I was embarrassed about receiving money that was associated with something called disability. I was embarrassed that I just was disabled. Like that's not a word anyone wants associated with themselves. I totally own it now. But, and so I was so ashamed, you know, here I am, this proud alpha female who's super confident and my gosh, now I'm defective. Like who wants to admit this? And also there's the vulnerability pitfall. I don't want to be vulnerable and open up and share how I feel about this to people. And I'd rope other people into my shame. Like I have a boyfriend that would meet my friends friends and I would prep them and be like, Hey, they don't know about my disability. So don't say anything. Or, you know, just like now I'm roping other people into my massive lie, right. That I'm, and I would dance around it semantically and I would avoid the topic altogether. And what I was waiting for is I was always like, you know, once this relationship gets to a certain point or if I'll wait for them to say, I love you. And then maybe I'll tell them, then I'll feel safe. Right. Well, what it really did is it backfired on me and it kept me out of, you know, probably some deep friendships that could have been developed because it was really one-sided. So people would be sharing stuff with me about their life, but here I am. And in the background, it's like, well, you don't really know me and I can't really trust you because you don't know this thing about me that I think you might reject me for. So therefore I'm over here. You can share with me. That's very one-sided, isn't it? And so there were relationships and people I probably could have become closer to and had a bigger, different tribe, you know, and no woulda, coulda, shouldas, right? You know, no going back, but I'm, I'm telling the story so that you listening don't allow this to happen in your life. So with romantic relationships about six years ago, it really, it hit the fan. And I was in a relationship with a guy I absolutely thought, no question, I would marry, met the perfect guy, still have nothing but lovely things to say about this person. But what I started to notice is, and I thought it was cute at first, I was like, he's kind of like a little bit of a robot. Like he's like very, he was very kind of professional with me in a way, even though like we spent time with his kids all the time. We were, you know, holidays together. We were very close and on this trajectory towards, you know, a lifelong commitment. Yet, they couldn't express themselves in words. I got no emotional intimacy. He showed me he loved me, but he couldn't speak words of appreciation. And, and after a certain period of time, no relationship will survive that. There has to be emotional you know, intimacy there, not just physical intimacy, etc. And so I knew something was wrong because I would start to feel choked up. Again, that choked up feeling in your throat like you can't speak. And 
I knew that was bad. It was like a year in a relationship and I hadn't told him about my disability, you know, and here this is coming up. And so I bring it up. Long story short, I think they misinterpreted it. Who knows? We ended up breaking up. And I called my life coach, bawling my eyes out. And I said, this seems like such a cruel joke. Why would the universe do this? I've done all this work in my life, you know, to try to find this relationship. And here I am. I found the perfect guy. And the only thing wrong with the guy is this one thing, but this one thing is such a deal breaker. I can't go through my whole life never being told I love you or hearing words, you know? And he said something to me that was so brutal and so true, and it hit me like a brick. He said, did you tell him about your disability? And I said, no. And he said, well, then I guess you are the emotional robot. How do you expect to find someone who's going to be open and you know emotionally available to you when you are the closed off robot who are not emotionally available? Else? Did you express your love? Did you express yourself? And I lost it. Melanie, I lost it because it's so true. And it was so painful, you know, so painful because ugh, it was me. I'm the common denominator. It was me. Yeah. What did I expect? What did I expect? Right. So after that, I launched a journey where I was like, okay, I got to get over the shame thing. You know, I got to deal with this. This is impacting my life, not other areas of my life, you know, well, maybe the friendships and stuff, but my confidence in all the other areas were still astounding and amazing, but, uh, this area. And so if you think one area in your life that you're avoiding or that you need to work on is not going to affect the others, you're wrong. It's all connected you know, and I thought I could shuffle this thing under the rug over here and live this life, but I was harboring all this shame. And people would say to me, like, I don't know why you feel shamed. It's not your fault or, or no one's going to care. I know that they're trying to be encouraging, but that is really like telling a person who's ashamed of something that they're ridiculous for feeling ashamed. So it didn't really help. You know what I mean? No one ever really had the juice to help me with this until again, my coach so harshly told me what he said. And it was so true. So I started to work on trying to be more vulnerable. I started with a couple of friends that I had become close with that I hadn't told this to. And I thought, all right, you know, if I'm going to have a deep, long lasting friendship with these people, eventually this is going to come to a head and they're going to find this out about me. And it's going to be worse later for me probably to say it. So let me just pull the bandaid off. And I couldn't even get through the conversation I'm telling you now, just even a few years ago without bawling my eyes out and literally snot running everywhere, just a total mess of a human being. Like couldn't, even it wouldn't matter to who it was. I just couldn't even, I just would bawl my eyes out. And so I started there and, you know, people didn't care and they were so, and it brought me closer to these people. We have closer relationships now. And then some really interesting stuff happens. And this is where, you know, we could talk hippy dippy, but this is proof that, you know what, the universe will step in and give you prizes when you honor and tackle challenges. So, there's a fellow podcaster named Karen Martell. And we were talking one day just offline and she said, she, we're getting to know each other. And she's like, Hey, Elle, you know, like you do a bunch of things. What's your main source of income? And Melanie, that question for me for years was like awful because I'd have to admit that my base salary or what's consistent in my life is a disability payment, which is like a nightmare for me. Right. So I, in that moment, I thought I can keep this charade up or I can start to practice because I want a relationship with someone, you know, I want to get married. So I got to practice this and I'm just going to just tell her. So I told her a cliff notes version of the story. And this was her response. Oh my God, L that happened to me. 
I have a hand injury because I was a body worker for 15 years and was using my hands repetitively. And that's why I'm a podcaster and a health coach. And she said, oddly enough, I had always wanted to be a health coach, but I thought it was ridiculous and unrealistic. And the universe cut the golden handcuffs off of me. And now I'm doing what I love. And I lost it. You know, I, I got off the phone with her and I cried my eyes out. It was like, if that wasn't a freaking sign that I was on the right path with this, I don't know what is. What are the odds the first person who's kind of a stranger I pull that Band-Aid off with and she's got a hand disability? I mean, come on. Then it gets even more crazy. A couple weeks later, I'm interviewing a woman on the podcast. Her name's Jeslyn Moyer. She's the host of Good Morning La La Land and Ever Talk Live. She's a model. And someone said, hey, you should interview her because she's got a really interesting health story. And I didn't know what it was, Melanie. I just thought, okay, I'll find out about it on the podcast. And I'm interviewing her and I had to put the microphone on mute because there's just tears streaming out of my eyes when she says that she got into a freak accident that severed nearly every tendon and nerve leading to her left hand. And after eight hours of emergency surgery, she woke up and she could not feel her left hand. And her first thought of shame, just like mine back in San Francisco of who's going to want me, her first thought was, oh my God, am I ever going to feel a man put a ring on my finger? Now, again, in that instant, just like me back then, she had this instant of, oh my God, you go from one moment being fine to the next moment, you're permanently disabled. Now you're different. Now you're maybe thinking of yourself as a financial liability, not to mention, right, who's going to want me? And so I lost it because what are the odds that in my foray to just sort of rip off this Band-Aid and start to have a little bit of no shame about my shame, that I run into two women with permanent hand disabilities that you can't see. And you can't see Jeslyn's hand disability either. She looks totally normal when you see her, but she's in chronic pain. She's got chronic regional pain syndrome. And I instantly felt less alone. Again, one of the benefits of being vulnerable and opening up you know, that's no different than someone going to a cancer support group, right? Or something, you know, you're dealing with other people that understand you, know what it's like. It's like plane crash survivors. They only want to talk with other plane crash survivors for obvious reasons because they've been through it, right? So here I have two women that are using their voice in life to make money just like I am now, but also have hand disabilities you can't see. I feel less alone. And then I get to discuss with both of them both the levels of shame that we experience about this in terms of romantic relationships and otherwise. If that isn't a direct sign and a gift that I was on the right track here, I don't know what is, right? I mean, what are the effing odds of that happening? You know, and that's where the universe will conspire for you if you step up and out of shame or anything else, right? You step up to bully a boss that's patronizing. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be you need confidence to be a stay-at-home mom. You're going to have to deal with other kids' parents. You might have to deal with some biatch at the PTA meeting or, you know, speak up somewhere. So this confidence is not about being some high powered badass out there, you know, writing books and public speaking or any of this kind of stuff or some corporate, whatever. It's the feeling inside that wherever you go, you're comfortable within yourself being who you are and you're confident in staking your ground and standing up for yourself when need be. Now, you don't always speak up. I'd rather have my ego punch than my face. Yeah. Don't speak up to people if you're in harm or you know danger. But this was like a 20 year issue with shame. That was just when I look back and here's the thing, not a lot of people cared. In fact, most people were very inspired by it because now when I was younger then and injured, I thought, okay, 
I was like, Melanie, I sat there and I was like, I don't have my arms. So what do I do? I have my voice. And the funny thing was, is right. I'd always wanted to be an actor anyway. (laughs) So I was like, well, I guess now I'm forced into it. I don't have a choice. I don't have a backup. So I have no choice now to pursue acting and voice. And I immediately went back to Chicago to do the second city for a couple of years to get my voiceover demo. Then I came back out to LA. Thank God podcasting and voice recognition software is, is out there. And, you know, I've written two books now and host a podcast and am able to use my voice. It's a success story that I never thought would be one because I just thought I was totally screwed. And that's a gift that came wrapped in poop. And so same with the hypothyroidism. I never thought during all of that suffering, you know, that it just seems like, why? Why did six years of my 30s get wasted to being sick and miserable with hypothyroidism? I look back now and I, I would do it all over again because of all of the people I've inspired and helped. It makes every one of those days suffering worth it. And now it makes all of those days of shame. And now I have no shame. Like if I meet anybody, I'm happy to talk about it. I, I really don't have any shame about it. When I did the talk at Paleo FX last year called The Shame of Disability and the Disability of Shame, a girl walked up to me afterwards. She was 26 years old and she was crying. And she said, you know, I'm 26. I got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I was like 19 and none of my friends understood and they're all happy and healthy and, you know, partying and having a good time. And, you know, they're questioning me because they can't see it. Right. And, you know, I'm different. And, you know, I, I carried all this shame. And she said, I thought I had dealt with it. She said, but I didn't even know who you were. I just knew a speech was starting. I decided to sit down to be like, well, let's see what this person has to say. And I was blown away that this was the topic because after you spoke, I realized I need to do more work here. And that's what I'm about now talking about this topic. We all need to get flat with this. You know, we all need to move in the direction. And again, it's not about a Facebook live. (laughs) If you want to write a book about it, great but you've got to get okay with it within yourself and having no shame about your shame. Doesn't mean there might be some residuals left, but you can't let it dictate your life because it will. And you'll likely draw in other people that are also hiding things or draw in other people that are harboring shame in a similar way. Or again, the reflection of however that manifests. So for me, not speaking up and being vulnerable and expressing my emotions in a romantic relationship and sort of waiting for them to take the helm on that or worried about that. I'm not surprised I attracted an emotional robot, you know, and now my experience is the opposite. And I would also argue that the most confident as of people are okay with showing vulnerability and emotion because that is the ultimate in not caring about what other people's opinions of you are. Yeah, that is such an incredible story. I, I can't believe that the girl had the same hand disability. Two in like a couple of weeks, like two different chicks with hand disabilities you can't see that are... And I think, I just think the shame thing is so huge. I mean, I know for me, I haven't really spoken about this that much publicly, but where I am right now with my podcast and everything has really come about because of my own personal health issues that I've experienced. And it's just me like relentlessly searching for answers. And I often have a huge aspect of shame that comes with that because I feel like I'm, you know, putting forward this content to help people when I'm struggling to help myself. (laughs) And so I'm like, who am I for anybody? You know, why should anybody listen to me or who am I to say anything? So that's just something I've been like working on myself is not having the shame aspect around that and just continuing to search for answers and bring forth content to people that can help. But it's just really, really crazy about our own judgments about things. 
You're not the only one, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up. That was a very vulnerable move to say that, that you're in a, sometimes going, well, you know, I, I've got still some struggles over here. Like, who do I think I am preaching this, right? Well, it doesn't still mean that what you're putting out there isn't positive and isn't helpful, right, to everybody because it is. And you're an incredible interviewer and you do put out great content. I know you love to research and geek out on that stuff, which is really helpful for your listeners when you've really researched a thing and looked into it. You know, most health coaches or people that are out there doing this, they do. There's there's still some, there's something within them they've got to work on. And I listen. I, there's some other podcasters also that have health shows that have had struggles. I think what really resonates with people is the authenticity of being vulnerable about that. You're more likely to get people who are going to want to listen to you because you are honest and open about those things versus the other people that aren't. And while some may judge it okay, do whatever you want. You know, for example, it's like I, you know, after going through the hypothyroidism thing, so for people that don't know, it's not always the case, but 99% of the time, usually someone with hypothyroidism has major weight gain issues, right? You know, they get, they get fat and it's, it's uncontrollable until they fix it. And I get bummed out. Recently, a friend had texted me about, they're like, saw a fat trainer at their gym right? They're like, you know, it's just so hypocritical, right? It's like, who wants to be with a personal trainer that's not fit? You know, walk your walk. But you know, I kind of read them the riot act on that because I was like, hold on a minute. You don't know if they're going through like hypothyroidism right now. You don't know if they're struggling with something that they're trying to figure out. And that doesn't mean they can't tell you how to lift a damn dumbbell. You know, it doesn't mean they still don't know their stuff. And so I think we're very quick to judge other people, I mean, we all are, right? So that's one of the things too, getting out of other people's businesses or or not. Now, some a simple judgment is, you know, you walk by the store and you see some like horrible chartreuse blouse or something that you're like, oh my God, that's ugly. But I mean, that's like a base judgment, right? But you don't know until you're in someone's shoes. And I remember I was judged as well by some people who didn't believe me that I worked out because I had gotten so fat during hypothyroidism and I was still working out, which you shouldn't do <laughs> when you're seriously hypo. But and I remember feeling awful that day because they didn't believe me. It's like they rolled their eyes like, yeah, right, she works out. And inside I was like, I do, damn it. You know, like I'm struggling here. Like I don't know what's wrong with me. You know, I don't know what's wrong with me. I've gone to 500,000 doctors. I still don't know what's wrong with me. And so, you know, it's everyone in the world is gonna, people are skeptics, you know, people are so quick to point out faults or judgments. And now, then the wonderful thing about both the disability and the hypothyroidism is that it forced me into compassion and empathy for not only people that are disabled, but people with health issues. A level of compassion and empathy I did not have in those Armani suits in that office being some badass corporate chick making all this money. So I'm glad that I got my ass handed to me because this is a much better world to live in. And so now when I see, like maybe before I was hypothyroid, I would see someone who was obese or really grossly overweight and judge it and be like, oh my God, stop eating. Or like, you know, like not to them, to their face, but just, you know, in, in my head, rolling my eyes, like, oh my God, get it together. What a joke. But now I realize what an addiction it is. I've been a sugar addict. I also realized that you could have something wrong with you and go to 500 doctors and they can't figure it out and you're suffering and you're getting bigger and bigger. So now it's like when I see someone who's obese, it's not a judgment at all. It is a different, it's almost like an immediate empathy and compassion of like, I hope they find out what's going on. Like that's my first thought versus like, oh my God, stop shoving your face, right? So I'm glad I got hit with that. You know, I had to get humbled with that 
myself. And again, that's another gift from this too, aside from all the other gifts that have come from these experiences, because now I'm literally living the life of my dreams. And I can tell you this for sure, Melanie, because people my age are absolutely on this, which is my friends who are my age, they have the kids, they've got the 401ks, they've got the savings count, they've got the trajectory of the thing that I had before my arms were injured, but they are unfulfilled in life. They are wondering now, what was it all about? What do I do now? Or the kids leave for college and they're like, now what? And they're trying to find their purpose. I was forced into mine through a disability and also through a health issue. Again, two gifts wrapped in poop. And so I'm here to tell you that whatever's thrown your way, you don't know that it's not necessarily the best thing for you. Usually the things that are incredible in our lives are things we could not have designed or planned anyway. I would, I would challenge anyone to go back to some of the best moments in their life and the way it unfolded was probably not exactly how they could have designed it, probably even better than they could have designed it. And that's co-creation, right? Having faith in some unknown, whether it's quantum physics or a god. And in general, I think being confident as F is cultivating and having ultimately the sense of no matter what happens, I'm going to prevail. You know, that's truly confidence. Like I will prevail no matter what. And I've been so inspired as far as the arm thing goes. I got the opportunity to interview Bethany Hamilton. You know, she's the famous surfer who had her arm bitten off by a shark when she was 13. If anyone's out there and has any kind of physical disability, I suggest watching Soul Surfer, the movie based on the story of her life with that. It's something I watch every year. And one of the reasons I do is because there's a part in that movie where she's, you know, 13 years old and wondering who's ever going to want me. Oh, now if you look her up, she's got a very handsome husband and two kids. She travels all over the world. She's inspired so many people. She is just, in fact, I say this in my book, I'm not happy and successful despite my disability. I'm happy and successful because of it. And I would say the same goes for Bethany Hamilton. She has such a wider reach than she ever could have in life if she hadn't gotten her arm bitten off by that shark. And so I love that movie. I think it's very inspiring for anyone who's going through a challenging time. And I got to interview her as well, which was a really nice kind of like 180 to the whole thing, you know, to be able to interview. And I've been able to interview a lot of people that I've admired all these years. I've interviewed people from The Secret. When I first discovered The Secret, it was 2007. I have been able to interview several people from that exact movie. I Something I would have never thought at all even possible at that moment. And so I've had my life has been better and better because of these seemingly awful things, not to mention got to write two books about it. So, I mean, you know, which just fueled back into my performance writing and all the things that I love to do. And again, you know, I was always confident in so many ways, but that shame and what I went through, especially with hypothyroidism during those years. And if you're out there and you're suffering with any kind of like thyroid issue, which can affect your brain and your emotions. Yes, it's harder to be confident. It is. That's just true. You got to get yourself better, you know, first, usually to really, I mean, you can work with what you work with, but yes, if your brain's being affected, your neurotransmitters, you know how it is, Melanie, when you're suffering in a hypothyroid state of some kind, it's more of a challenge to access happiness. So yes, I mean, that's a caveat here, right? But you can still move towards that direction. Yeah, that is, it's so incredible. And I think it, it just adds such a wonderful... A wonderful ray of hope for a lot of people. I do have some other quick questions about some of the things that you discussed in the book that also really resonated with me. One was you talk about why we shouldn't say sorry all the time or apologize. And 
that has really stuck with me. And I remember the first time somebody ever told me, don't say sorry. It was probably about five years ago or so. She was a therapist, but she wasn't my therapist. But I would kept saying sorry, because it's funny. Once you realize how often people say sorry, you'll realize people say it all the time. It's like we're apologizing for everything. And once you pick up on it, you're like, oh, you're apologizing for things that you don't even need to be sorry for. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that, on why we feel this need to constantly say sorry or apologize? And should we or should we not? We should not. (laughs) And yeah, confident people don't justify and they don't apologize. Also, it is really lowering yourself to a a weaker, less confident vibration. So, and I don't know, this is just, I think in our vernacular, like everyone's so used to apologizing for stuff. That's not even your fault. Like someone gets into a car accident and you're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I mean, now I get it. Like that's a natural thing for us to say. Like, you're like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. That's really what we mean. But then it just kind of boils over into everything. And One of the things that I've noticed with less confident people is that they do justify a lot. So for example, I had a friend years ago, and this isn't in the book, but the essence of it is, who let's say someone asked him to do something like, hey, we we want you to come to this party. Even though he didn't want to, he'd agree to it. And then later he'd find a reason to cancel or whatever, which, you know, and so finally I said, look, you can either be honest up front and just say no, because then now you have like created this thing where you look like a terrible flake. Like which one would you rather have? Like being the upfront, honest, authentic person, which is more admirable and people actually respect, or this guy that is constantly bailing on plans you've made. Like what's worse? I mean, I think everyone listening knows which one is worse, right? And the other thing too, is that creative people often feel like they have to justify stuff. So I'm sure you've gotten this too actor, writer, doesn't matter what you're doing, people be like, hey, what are you up to? What are you working on? And you feel the need, right? There's this moment of like, you have to justify yourself, justify your place in this world in some way. Like, well, I'm working on this or I've got that. So one year I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like totally not even justify. And I remember one summer someone was like, hey, what are you up to? What do you have going on? And I said, absolutely nothing. I'm going to do zero this summer except for hang out at the beach and stand up paddle. And you know what? No shame about it whatsoever. Just right back at him. Just like, nope. Now I'm going to feed into that. Like I'm doing nothing and I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> but we have this thing, like we need to justify. It's the same of like, Hey, keeping busy. One of the worst things to hear for me. Cause I'm like, why would I want to keep busy? What, where did that come from? Why are people validating that as if it's somehow, you know what I mean? A thing we should aspire to. Isn't everyone in this world trying to be less effing busy <laughs> so that they have more free time on their hands? Right? So try to look at ways where you're justifying or over explaining a thing. You know, it's better to just, it's a very weak position and makes you look kind of flaky in a way. If someone asks you to do something and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't because, and then you go on some long rant about what it is. You got to pick up this. You got to do that. First of all, no one wants to hear it. Second of all, it's just not a confident platform. You just come up and say, you know, hey, thanks a lot, but you know what? I'm out of town, can't make it. If that's the truth, that's easy. Or just in general, like, you know what? No, but thanks so much for asking. People love that. You'd be so surprised. People love that. They love it. They secretly love that, whether they're going to tell you in that moment or not. It's just, you are going to be more admired. You're going to be seen as that person that's going to fuel you in every way. So just try to look for places where you're justifying your position in this world. Do you think a dog has to justify their place in this world or a beetle? No, and neither do you. You don't have to justify yourself on this planet. But if you are in a creative profession, you're going to get it a lot more than most people. You just really are because, you know, people are always like, what are you working on? What are you up to? You know, kind of stuff. Because unless you're in some nine to five job that, you know, is kind of standard, you're going to get it a little bit more. And I think creative people, because we don't have 
solid benchmarks. Like, you know, if you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor, like, you know, the trajectory of that, you do this, you do that, da, da, you become partner. Like there are actual tangible benchmarks. There are zero benchmarks in our industry. There are none. You have to find your own way. You know what I mean? It's not like you go, Oh, well, I'm going to get a five picture deal with NBC and then the rest of my life is good. No, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen, right? The check's not in the mail until it's there. We've gotten rejected a million times at, at auditions over and over again. You just, nothing is set in stone and nothing is, if I do this, then B will happen, right? You can do that in lots of other industries. So creative people, they need that warning even more. Have you experienced that? I'm sure you've experienced all the stuff I'm talking about with creative professions. You've probably even sensed a vibe from people in your life when you even came out and said you were going to do something creative or be an actor where you kind of, whether they said it or not, you noticed that they sort of rolled their eyes and were like, yeah, good luck with that, Melanie. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits the longest-lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight. It's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the U.S. is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives. Dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines. One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. Hi, friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hack. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually 
immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes, all the time, with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes, because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous, and they don't say this on the website, so I reached out to them, and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to melanieavalonscloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at melanieavalonscloset.com. That's melanieavalonscloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's melanieavalonscloset.com. Hi friends, I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health, help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair. And it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels. And I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD. And historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like a barrier, I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me 
Oh my goodness, friends. I am so obsessed. So they make transdermal NAD patches and they have studies showing that these patches actually boost your NAD levels. And what's so amazing is you put on a patch. It's super easy to put on. I have a video on my Instagram about how you do it. You basically get this patch thing with like a negative side and a positive side. You put saline on one side, you mix up the NAD with some sterile water and the NAD that they give you on the other side. Then you stick it to your arm or wherever you want to put it. You put a super cool black patch over it, kind of like how you put the patches over CGMs. And then what's amazing is there are no side effects. You don't feel unwell from it. And it lasts for 14 hours. And it's so easy. You can do it at home and then you can really decide when you want to do it. So with the shots, I was doing them once a week and I was trying to do them before going out with this patch. Now I put on the patch before going out and it makes me feel so good. It really helps the next day from any alcohol recovery that you may need. And they look pretty awesome with my outfits. Not going to lie. I am obsessed with these patches. I just want everybody to know about them and they are so much more affordable than the shots or the IVs. If you want to boost your NAD levels, support anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep, and or optimize your partying. You need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I-O-N-L-A-Y-E-R and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, P.S. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner thing. So they already are suspicious. And then they're like, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, it's NAD. And then they're like, what's that? And then I'm like, it's a coenzyme in your body that's involved in a lot of metabolic processes and energy production and DNA repair. And then they just look at me really weird, but it's fine. It's totally fine. So again, that's melanieavalon.com slash ion layer to get $100 off your ion layer kit. It comes with six patches, totally the way to go for boosting NAD levels. And I cannot recommend it enough. melanieavalon.com slash ion layer with the coupon code melanieavalon for $100 off. Yeah. Well, ironically, my growing up, my family was actually very, very supportive, which I was so, so thankful for. And it's interesting because we're talking about, you know, being confident in different areas and things like limiting beliefs and stuff like that. I really, as far as like the acting and everything, I never struggled with confidence surrounding it or cared what people thought until I lost confidence in myself in a way that came about with the health issues. And then after that, it was like, I was so much more vulnerable, even though I'm sure it, there was the exact same amount of people, you know, believing or not believing. I'm sure that didn't change, but my inner confidence or my inner perspective definitely made me more aware and vulnerable to those things. I'm just so fascinated by the concept of like limiting beliefs. And it's really, really haunted me so much because, you know, you can look at these things called limiting beliefs. They're things that we see them as truths for why we can't do certain things. And why I'm fascinated by them is when a person has a limiting belief about something, they're going to really, really believe that's reality. 
So for example, you might have a limiting belief thinking that you could never be an actor, or you might have a limiting belief thinking you're not, you'll never find love, or you might have a limiting belief thinking that you'll never fix your health condition or get well again. And the thing is, every single one of those situations, the future of it is uncertain. So why do we have limiting beliefs about some things and not others when in the end they all are uncertain? And so like my example is my career. I never felt, I never had a limiting belief about it. I was like, oh, I'll do it. Yeah. And I just never questioned it. But then like with my health issues, which is another struggle, another challenge compared to, you know, like acting or podcasting or something like that. I have so many limiting beliefs. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can get through this. And in the end, both of those are uncertain, you know, whether or not I'll be better, who knows, or whether or not I'll heal certain things, whether or not I'll be an actor, whether or not I'll have this podcast, but the limiting beliefs are just, they seem, they ring is so true. And sorry, that's a whole like tangent, but I think it really ties into confidence. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that relates to a friend that I can think about who is a kind of a famous artist. And they're very confident in their abilities as an artist. They know they do great work when they have a show. They are confident standing in front of their paintings on a wall. This is an area where they're confident in. Yet, it's really hard for them to talk to women and not be nervous and shy in a date, right? You know, so it's amazing. And so one of the things I pointed out to him was this, which is interesting. So you can have a limiting belief in one area and not another. Yet, like you said, it's really all, all a choice if we look at it. But... What I pointed out to him, because he kept claiming that he wasn't confident, and I said, no, that's not true. Clearly, you're confident over here. You're confident over here, just not over there. But isn't it funny that you consider yourself to be a not confident person when you technically really are in this one arena, just not over here? He also happens to be very confident in his business that he does aside from the art but just wasn't confident with relationships. So again, it's like making sure being coming confident as F, all encompassing, finding those areas. Because I guarantee you, everyone listening is confident in something, even if it's like you're confident that you're a good friend or you're a wonderful mother. It doesn't matter what it is. You could be like, I'm a conf, I'm like kick ass at ping pong. It really doesn't matter. Everyone has some sense if they really look at it that they are confident in some kind of ability, even if it's a quality or a characteristic. Like you could be like, I'm a really good person, you know? And then trying to spread that and let that filter into the other areas where you're not. And again, if you look at your life, there's areas where you're, you're confident and areas you're not. We want to make them all, right? Confident as F, all of it. Let's get it all. And that doesn't mean there's not going to be moments, but it's worth that effort. It's worth that self-examination because I'm here to tell you life is better. It just is, you know, and you, again, that's a great example. You were confident in this creative endeavor that a lot of people are actually not, you know, or have had issues with like stumbling blocks or parents that weren't supportive and be like, I'm going to be a stupid actor. What are you thinking? Right? You know, at least you didn't have that. But then this health thing hits you. And look, when my hypothyroidism hit me, whew, I had even more shame because now I'm like, oh God, I'm disabled. And I have this thing. I don't know what's happening to me. I'm falling apart. My hair's falling out. I'm a mess. I can barely get out of bed. I can barely function. Now who's really going to want me? Oh my God. Double extra shame. I piled on top of shame, just like with a side of shame. You know, it was brutal. The interesting thing though, is, is that my initial disability of my hand disability and being able to have the disability income there allowed me to solve the second 
essentially disability, which was a health one. Both things complemented themselves. When I got fat and I was acting and going out for lead roles and series regulars and sitcoms, I had that body. Then I got hit with hypothyroidism and I was like, oh my God, I'm super fat now. I know this industry. There's no way I'm going to be able to be a leading lady. And that led me into being like, all right, well, I have this history of sketch comedy and comedy. So I'm going to go back and do that because if, I don't know what's wrong with me, but if I'm going to end up being fat, then I guess at least I'll be the fat, funny friend. I mean, listen, literally was a thought in my head. And I went back to do sketch comedy and that turned me into a writer. And here we are. And I never expected I'd be a writer because my hands were injured people. (laughs) I mean, you know, like I never expected like anyone had ever said like, you're going to, you know, I would have never ever been like, yeah, I'm definitely not going to become like, definitely not going to be a writer. So that hypothyroidism led me into something that, again, worked back around to all of my dreams. And I just followed the path that was ahead of me, whatever stumbling block was there. And I had horrible shame. That was one of the things that was so embarrassing for me, you know, showing up at my theater and like, you know, here I am fit. And then six months later, I'm huge and I'm going through all these issues and I don't know what's wrong with me. And I don't want to talk about it because no one wants to keep talking about the problems and being in that broken record. And there were nights and times when it was really hard to perform and I probably exhausted adrenals and, you know, I still wasn't better, but I forged through that because I would rest during the day and then try to go to the theater at night and muster up the energy to complete a comedy show. And then one day it led to me asking a friend there, Hey, have you ever written a sitcom? Have you ever written a, you know, and now I have a award-winning documentary out and have plenty of things to show for myself in the way of sitcoms and film scripts. I would have never guessed that that would have been my life, but it turns out it all so goes back to if there's something in your life that you really want to do and you think it's stupid and realistic and you're going to go do the practical thing, mm, take a look at that again <laughs> because the universe might cut the golden handcuffs off your wrist too and force you into it anyway, you know? And that's where it's like pursue your dreams regardless of how unrealistic. It doesn't even matter if you fail, do it because you're going to regret not doing it. And I, I guarantee you that had I not had my hands injured and I had the 401k and the Porsches and the you know millions of dollars, I would still probably regret never pursuing acting and pursuing a career in speaking and acting and all of the things that I just spoke about. So, you know, you can do it now or wait for something to hit you and smack you right into it. And, you know, I'm sure, I don't know if you want to share, but there have to have been like me, things that you've really learned. I mean, clearly your level of empathy and compassion for people who are sick, you understand that, that maybe you didn't before. There are lots of gifts in here that relate to our personal characteristics and the way we relate to people. I know that if you met someone on the street crying because of some health issue, you would be the right person to talk to them. And you probably would. And you'd go out of your way to be like, I understand. You'd share your experience. These connections are important. That's kind of what we live for is our relation to others, you know, in that way. And so I'm sure there are gifts and there's, there's more gifts too down the pike for you, but I'm sure you've already had some. Exactly. You touched on it so much. I mean, I feel like I'm still in this. I mean, we're always, we look at things like we're, you know, either on the way to something or at the destination when really life is constantly a journey. But the amount of things I've learned so far have, even though I'm still trying to work my way through things, I am so grateful for what I've learned so far. I'm grateful for where I know I will be. (laughs) I'm grateful for things that haven't even happened yet. But yeah, as far as just like relating to people, I think it's given me a really, I don't know, I appreciate the perspective that it's cultivated, especially in the health and wellness world, because I think so many people in this world think there's like 
one right answer to everything. And, you know, this one thing will solve everything or this diet will fix everything or just do this, just do that. When, because for me, so many things have worked, but so many things haven't worked and some things have worked sometimes and some things haven't. And it just made me realize there is no one right answer. That's why I am always searching. That's why I'll, I'll never, if somebody says something's not working for them, I will totally understand. It's made me realize how important it is for people to find what works for them individually. And then on top of that, I mean, I started all of this focused on like the physical aspects of things like diet, fitness, health. But now, honestly, what is really sticking with me the most is the mindset about everything. And then it comes full circle because I've realized more and more with all the research that the mindset ties into the physical on a whole nother level beyond what I think, beyond what we can even like slightly grasp. I mean, like on a quantum physics level. (laughs) So it all, it all comes full circle. And I'm, I'm really grateful for the journey, even though it gets, I mean, it's been really dark. It gets really dark at times, but it's definitely made me really appreciative of, I mean, humanity. Yeah. And, and struggle, you know, and, and compassion, these things are really where it's at. And, you know, I just thought of something funny as I was looking at, I have a copy of my book in front of me. And so (laughs) on confidence. So I know a fellow podcaster that's a New York times bestselling author. They're very successful. And they were talking to me because they've only written in the health arena. And when they were interviewing me about this book, they asked me, they said like offline, they were like, Hey, you know, how did you get yourself to be seen as a person to talk about this topic versus health, right? Because you're known as like the thyroid person or the health person. And now I'm, you know, moving into self-help, right? Or, or self-improvement. And he was talking about potential publishers and what they might think and how, you know, how could he change their perspective on seeing him in a different way? And right there, you don't wait for permission. You don't. You do it. You declare it. That's confident as F, Right. He doesn't need to wait for a publisher to tell him he is or isn't a self-help person. Just write that damn book. Just do it, right? If you are, you are. They accept it or not. Who cares? Then self-publish it, right? So it's just interesting. Like even some of the most confident people are already on New York Times bestselling authors will still have these moments of waiting for someone to give them approval to move forward in a direction, you know? And you can't wait for that. Nobody can. If you wait for that, then you're going to be waiting for it. That's more moments going by where you're not that thing or you're not pursuing that thing. Or I think we wait, we feel like we're not ready. So we're like just waiting till we're ready to do things. Absolutely. You have to move through it. You have to take the first step. That's such a good point because so many people are like, again, when I lose the weight, I'll do this. Or when I finally get there, I'll be comfortable with this. Or And look, some of those things can be valid, but for the most part, you just have to do. You have to take a forward motion. And that's usually in speaking up. You know, the story of my life past several years after publishing the first book is literally an example of never hurts to ask. And that's part of speaking up, right? You're going to be right back where you started if you didn't ask. So you're already there. (laughs) You could get rejected. That's possible. But you know, at least you ask and now you know. And every time I have asked, everyone said yes, every single time. And so I'm a big proponent of that, you know, and again, this goes back to just being able to get inside and say, Hey, I'm going to speak up about this, or I'm going to do this. I'm going to take another one step in that direction. Now, let's say you want to be a writer. That doesn't mean sit down and start writing the book. Maybe that means, you know what, Mm, get a book on it. Maybe I'm going to watch a YouTube video. 
Maybe I'm going to take an online course. Maybe I'm going to go to you know UCLA Extension and take a writing class, whatever. It's just a step in the direction. You don't have to go claim and declare to everyone that you're now a writer and, and wait for everyone to, to bag your confidence on that you know, and have to challenge, be challenged there. But you have to take some step in the direction. The reason I know you're going to succeed is because you keep persevering, right? And so perseverance pays. It really does. It really does. And everyone that I've coached and know that has persevered and continues to look for answers, they find them. They find them. Yeah. It reminds me of a recent episode that I had was actually with Dr. Z, Eric Zelensky. He wrote The Healing Power of Essential Oils. And he actually had a Bible verse in that book that resonated with me on so many levels. And I think perfectly kind of sums up what we were just talking about because the Bible verse basically said that we take glory in suffering because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance leads to character and character leads to hope and hope does not put us to shame. And I keep thinking about that. That is such a beautiful concept. So basically, you know, we have this suffering we can actually, it's a good thing. Like we can take glory in it because if we persevere through it, that's what made me think of it. Cause you were saying, you know, keep persevering. If we do keep persevering, it builds our character, builds who we are, that builds our hope. And then I just love that the next verse is saying, it's basically saying, you know, hope is not a bad thing. Hope does not put us to shame, which brings it all full circle with the shame thing. Yeah. Hope is on a, a high vibrational level towards success and happiness. That's sort of like one of the last stops up the scale there, you know what I mean? Versus despair or anger, right? And so if you can get to hope, right, then, and even again, like you said, I've had it too. You have a hope, you try a thing, doesn't work, damn, but you keep going. Because when you don't, now you are in despair. If you stop persevering and looking for answers, and I know you probably have too. I've inter- interviewed so many people who have cured themselves of MS, rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, you name it, you name it. Things out there that doctors are like, yeah, that that can't happen. And it happens. And then they wrote a book about it, just kind of like I did or whatever. But some of these stories are even more impressive because really, at least they're you know, at least part of the medical community, whether they know what they're doing or not, would say, yes, hypothyroidism is solvable. But you know, doctors would never say that rheumatoid arthritis is solvable. But it is. Turns out it is. I've known a couple of people who were debilitated, sentenced to a life in a wheelchair. And they were like, nope, uh-uh, no. And they didn't give up. And then they fixed it. And now you check their blood and they don't even have rheumatoid arthritis. Yet they were once on biologics for 10 years and doctors who were like, well, just going to have to be in a wheelchair. This is the way it goes. Sorry. So, you know, again, if those people didn't persevere and say, I'm not going to, you know, if I didn't persevere, I wouldn't have helped people. So had I not stepped up and gone, no, I don't care that I've seen 50 doctors and they all have led me in the wrong direction and don't know what they're doing. I am not going to live like this. I am going to find a way to fix this. I'm not surprised I did, but at the same time too, what if I hadn't? So my gift that I gave of being able to dispel this information to help others would have never gotten out there. But that seems kind of wrong now in hindsight, looking at the success of that book and what it's done for people's lives. And, you know, who knows, second edition will happen maybe and, you know, blah, 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 and continue on. I'll always talk about thyroid forever and help anybody with that. I mean, that's that's far more profound than me sitting alone and having solved it or not solved it and just not have been able to make that contribution, right? 
And, and same here as well with my experience with confidence and my shame of my disability and everything else I've been through in life. You know, if I just kept this to myself, and I will tell you this, no woulda, coulda, shoulda is right, but this is why I'm talking about this, which is once I finally got over the shame of my disability, everybody actually was right in terms of like, what was I like? I can't believe I could just hit myself over the head that I, I let so much of my life be consumed by this. Let so many relationships go untapped further because I didn't want people to get close to me because they'd find this out or whatever, you know, and I'm not going to go back right, clearly at this point, but I just think about all of that time and I don't want people to spend 20 years because I'm here to tell you it's worth it. It's so worth it. I love that so much. And speaking of time, I know we are, we've been talking for quite a long time. I do have just two quick final questions. The first one is what would you say to people who feel like being confident I think a lot of people don't want to be confident because they think it's egotistical or selfish or that it's, you know, you're not humble if you're confident. So what would you say to those people? Yeah. So that's a good one. Here's the thing. Well, people are listening to me talk and they're like, all right, she's a total type A alpha. I get it. She's super confident. I am also a super softy. I love babies and dogs and I cry at stupid Hallmark movies and like I'm still totally that person, you know. I uh, I'm a mush. However, I'm not asking people to be type A alpha like me, right? I'm I'm asking them to be confident on the inside. You don't need to speak up and be that on the outside. As far as humility, if people are out, one of the things that is a negative connotation of confident people are kind. Confident people are not jerks that are out there boasting and pontificating. That's a false sense of confidence. If you feel, and you know, I'll just give the example from my book. I have a girl who does facials for me occasionally and uh, not surprised, like a lot of people in my life, she needed confidence and had some issues with self-esteem and, you know, insecurity. And we had gotten to know each other over time. And she, I came in for a facial one day and she said, you know, Elle, she's like, I was thinking about you the other day because I walked into like a party and I just, I feel like all eyes are on me. I'm self-conscious. I feel insecure. It's like when I walk into a place, it could be a restaurant anywhere. And I was thinking about you and I thought, I bet Elle doesn't feel that way. And then she's like, how do you feel when you like walk into a place? And my immediate response was, I walk into every place like I own the mother effer. And now that sounds really cocky and I get it, but let me unpack that. I don't walk into a room trying to prove anything. I don't need to even care if anyone asks me a question about myself. I don't need to give a resume. I'm not there to brag or talk about my accomplishments. I'm not even there necessarily to talk to people. I'm just there comfortable in myself, observing the situation, and I'm open to conversation or not, or learning about people or not. There's nothing about that experience that is reflective in how I feel people are going to perceive me. That is a place of true confidence. That's confident as F. I wish that upon everyone. And, you know, just going to dinner by yourself somewhere can really be a good a good exercise in testing that one. And that's also awkward. It's kind of can be uncomfortable, but it's a good one to try to do at some point because it's a place of feeling judged and there's people around you and they're all together and you're alone. That can be a really good one. But it is about feeling just comfortable in yourself. If you feel like you have to prove things to people, that's not confidence, that's weakness and insecurity. Confident people also, aside from the justifying and apologizing, I'm going to throw in here, confident people are not jealous at all. I am not a jealous person. While I understand the concept, I don't understand it because number one, it is 
really hoping that the person you're jealous of fails. That's really what it is. It's secretly hoping that person fails when you're jealous of someone. That's a shitty, that's a, that's not a good vibe to be putting out there. But also it's really feeling a lack, like there's not enough for everybody. So if someone comes to me and they want to be a writer or a podcaster, I don't feel threatened at all. In fact, the opposite, because I know that helping them is just going to fuel my confidence and fuel my success as well. That's not exactly why I do it, but I also just am not threatened. Confident people also don't compete. My thing is when you compete, you lose. So for example, even if I were in a sports competition, I'm not there thinking I'm going to kick their butts. I'm just thinking I'm going to win two different vibrations. The first one is my validation based on other people's failure. And the other one, the second one is I'm just going to win is just me prevailing. Maybe. And and by the way, I often win contests. (laughs) I really do. And probably because that's my story, right? Since I was a kid, I was like, I win contests. I call on the radio station. I win the album or like, you know, and that's solely different. It's a different vibration. And so I talk about all these different little aspects, things that can pick away at our confidence. And I'm down, you got to be down with other people's confidence, right? I'm down with OPC, man, other people's confidence. Stop chumping on other people's confidence unless you want yours on. Stop being a downer. And I go through this in detail in the book about, I put like nine different downer effects in there and things that come up in our lives where people question us or will chip away at our confidence and how we are going to react and what we should do with that information. And so- This is a personal game. This is your life. It's you on the inside to externalize it. And while we want validation, like, of course, I want people to think that I wrote a good book. That's nice. But even if they didn't, that's okay, because I'm just proud and excited that I completed it and I did it and I know it's good and and I like it. (laughs) You know, that's enough for me, even if one person bought it, it's okay. And that's the same way I felt about the paleothyroid solution. I was like, if just one person, it would just make me, if one person just got affected by this in a positive way, that would be worth it. And I can't sit here and think about book sales because that's not what it's about. It's about helping other people and the accomplishment in and of itself, the outcome or what people think of it. While it's nice, by the way, because I have that outlook, I believe then that's why I'm successful at it. Because again, I'm not caring so much about people things. So essentially not surprised that they think it's great. (laughs) I bet if I cared so much and I was looking at reviews every day and it maybe it wouldn't yield the same outcome because that's a level of kind of resistance. Do you know what I mean? It's a low vibrational, low self-esteem angle, looking and seeking and hoping people are going to validate you. Well, you have to validate you. And that's what this is about, right? Getting into the self-examination so that you are now a lot of religions, and I have a whole section in my book on like, listen, what if you're very religious, you believe in God, using your faith to fuel your confidence? Sometimes people talk about humility. You mentioned it. Humility can be kind of like, mm, it's almost like it can be kind of a grandiose thing. Like you're so important. It's it's downplaying one's, some people are taught to downplay their, you know, not brag, right? So people are like, well, I don't want to be boastful or cocky. Look, cocky and boastful comes from the, a place that is sort of apparent vibrationally to the people around you. We all kind of know when someone is like bragging in one of those kind of ways versus someone just touting their abilities. You know what I mean? How do you think you're going to get a job? You better be able to tout your abilities. They're going to ask you what your strengths are. Good luck with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You must try to point these out find them instead of trying to look, if we keep looking for limiting beliefs, there's more and more you're going to find them. We need to start looking for the positive ones, for the aspects of ourselves that we appreciate, right? Building ourselves up that way, because that practice begets more confidence. 
you know, and every time you speak up in a situation where you didn't look, everyone's had a scenario where they walk away and they go, like the next day, they're like, I wish I could have said that. I wish (laughs) I should have. Well, you have a chance on the next one. Do it. And I guarantee you when you're done, regardless of how awkward or uncomfortable that moment is, you are going to feel so good about yourself and that will just continue to fuel confidence. I love it so much. And you touched on so many things that listeners, you have to get this book because it's just a wealth of knowledge with all of this stuff. It's really, it's just, it's really wonderful motivation. I love how in your face it is to the point. I mean, I think we need that because I think there's a lot of handholding a lot of times when it comes to these things where it's like, okay, you know, the approach that you take is very refreshing and very to the point. And I think it's often very much needed. Thank you. Well, it's funny because I, I I know some people who bought it for like every member of their family. And and this is one of the books where like, if you know someone that's a victim and simmering in victimhood, or you know someone that needs help with this and you don't, you can't tell them because they're not going to listen to you, buy them my book. I'll tell them. <laughs> I'll say the things you don't want to say. I do it in that book. And, you know, in fact, I had an experience in the book where I lay out a whole situation with like a downer. And then I brought the book to that person. I go, by the way, I want you to read that. That's you. That's you. Call them right on their shit right there. Just, here you go. This chapter, that's, that part, that's you. What do you think of that? They're like, oh my God, I did not. I see how you could have seen it that way. I didn't mean it that way. I go, no, you didn't mean it that way. But let's look at your words. That's what you did. You were a downer. You tried to chump on my confidence. Don't do it to other people. Enough of that. Stop it. They got the message. They got the message. Now, I have a different delivery. You know, I'm such an OBS person from downtown Chicago, like a tough chick, right? Like, you know, of course I'm not for everybody. I'm not expecting anyone to even, you know, like some of my best friends are the quietest, sweetest people. You would be like, I can't believe, you know, she's friends with them. This is not asking people to be like me. You know what I mean? I'm not asking you to adopt this level of confidence on the outside that I have, this ability to speak the way that I do. That's just not everyone's scene, but you don't need that. You don't need to become me and how I'm confident. You just need to be confident as if in the way that's right for you. Again, you could be a stay-at-home mom. You could be the quietest person in the room. You know, one of my best friends from high school is the most confident person, but he's the guy where you'd see him at a party and he'd be in the corner kind of alone. And I bet you people at the party are like, oh, that poor guy all alone in the corner. Not poor guy. Trust me. He's just observing, enjoying himself, right? He's not there to prove anything. He's not worried about people looking at him. He's not worried about being judged. He's just confident as F standing there observing himself and enjoying himself at a party. And I kind of wish that upon everybody. And he's also one of the most soft-spoken, the quietest person in the room. Those are often the most confident people. (laughs) Just, you know, the loudest guy in the room is not really always the most confident. They are usually the most insecure cure, depending, right? And so it's funny because as talkative as I am, and as much as I get interviewed, I take a back seat in a lot of those situations because I don't need to prove, I mean, I'm here to prove my book and talk, you know, obviously because I'm being interviewed, but when I'm in a party or somewhere else, I don't feel the need to be the life of the party or talk extensively or anything. In fact, because you and I both do what we do, I'm actually more inclined to give other people the room, give other people the floor. I've had enough. I'm good. I'm confident enough. I don't need to prove it to every room I'm in, right? That's confidence. And it's self-esteem. They are interchangeable. And that's really what I mean by confident as F. And so I'm hoping to give another connotation of confidence because people who aren't outspoken like me will take offense to it thinking like, well, that's, I don't want to be that. And I get that. I'm not asking anyone to be me, 
but I am asking you to dig into your life, dig into your past and your present, look at your friendships, look at your relationships, look at your patterns and find the areas where you're lacking in confidence and self-esteem and let's get it together. Like this is so possible for everybody. It really, really is. And everyone's got their own take on it or their own flair or their own scene. You know, again, you don't have to be, you know, on a soapbox like I am or whatever. And you know what? It is a really quick, easy, fun read. And I hope people appreciate it. And I'd love anyone's feedback if they get the book and would love to hear your feedback. Yeah. So for listeners, I will definitely be putting a link to the book in the show notes. Again, the show notes will be at melanieavalon.com slash confidence. And thank you so much, Elle. I know you answered this question on the last episode, but I can't break my streak of not (laughs) ending every single episode with the same question just because it just really, it's because I realize how important mindset is and it makes me always end the episode with a smile. So what is something that you're grateful for? Since we were just talking about it, I would say that right now I'm really grateful for my arms, just that I have them, right? So even though there are limitations, I'm grateful I have them. Someone might be out there and be like, not have their legs, but they're grateful for their arms or something. Sometimes I'm just grateful for the basics. So I would say that I'm grateful for that, but also I'm grateful for the challenges. If you work through them and persevere, they become incredible gifts. And I'm so grateful. And I know it sounds cocky, but I'm proud of myself. I, I sometimes cry just out of being proud of myself for overcoming the shame. You know, sometimes I cry because I'm so proud. I stepped up and wrote a book about the thyroid stuff and I cry about my old self, even like suffering or whatever. And now being where I am, the gratitude of being better. I know anyone out there suffering from whatever it is, mental, emotional, physical. I've seen too many 180s. I've interviewed too many of these people. I just know it's there for you, but you have to try to do your best with mindset. And like you said, you mentioned a good book, The Secret. I think some other ones, almost every teacher and person interviewed in The Secret has multiple books. If you go down that rabbit hole, it's a really good place to start. They all have incredible journeys, all incredible success stories. Lisa Nichols, who I interviewed, she really is ragged to riches. I mean, we're talking like, you know, poor and Compton food stamps to multi-gajillionaire you know what I mean? Struggled with weight issues for a year to now fit and healthy. And she actually, and not to extend this interview much longer, but it touches on what you said earlier. When I interviewed Lisa Nichols, she was kind of overweight when she was in the secret and now she's much thinner and healthier. She actually admitted on the show for the first time that she had great shame in admitting that she had a physical issue at the time because here she was preaching the stuff about the secret and mindset, yet she was struggling with something she didn't know what it was. Turns out it was a thyroid issue, of all things. Not surprised that got revealed on the podcast with me, just serendipitously. And she harbored a lot of shame about it, you know, because she was out there talking about mindset and how you can change your mind and your life and your body and all this stuff. And meanwhile, her body was falling apart and she didn't know what was going on. She was just too embarrassed to kind of reach out for help because she was in that same scenario that you kind of discussed earlier. So, you know, Lisa Nichols is a great inspiration as well. And her story is really from ground zero to mass success. And every one of those speakers and authors in that audiobook or book or movie, The Secret, is a great place to start. There's just, they're really motivational, incredible people. And they've all helped me. I've read all of their books. I wouldn't be here right now if I didn't use those things to fuel me. And so I guess I'm grateful for, sorry, that's a lot of things to be grateful for, but yeah, sorry. 
I'm grateful for you too, for giving me such a great platform and the time. And of course, I love your book as well and had fun interviewing you about that. That was great. Well, thank you so much, Elle. I am I'm so grateful for you, for all that you're doing, for your books, for everything. Ah, I'm really excited to see what comes of all this and the future and hopefully interviewing you again in the future, maybe book three, or maybe we'll see where the world goes. Maybe I'll be interviewing you about your leading role in some movie or something. Hey, 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 I'm open. I'm, you know what? Here's the thing. We all got to be open to the unknown possibilities because that's where the juicy stuff lies. Every day we think the same thoughts, right? You know, we keep going in the same direction. We're thinking about the same outcomes or future to try to get to a point. Again, some of these authors we talked about can really get you there to be open to unknown possibilities because my life has been just that. And I tried to control and make it right. I had plans and that, that there's that quote, you know, when you make plans, God laughs. Boy, that's true in my life. So just start to be open about unknown possibilities that you can't even foresee. And that could even spark some good stuff. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Any other links to plug for listeners to follow you? I'll put links to your your Instagram, your book, your website, anything else to put out there? No, I mean, that's it. Yeah, you can just search me and everything should come up. And the book is on Amazon and Kindle and paperback. And yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, I will talk to you sooner rather than later, hopefully. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.